The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. Beyond the FTX fiasco, where does crypto go now? And who's ready for some regulation? Former SEC enforcer Lisa Braganza. Frauds happen. Frauds happen in highly regulated areas, and they happen in low-regulated areas. And calling all sneakerheads, new Foot Locker CEO Mary Dillon is building community, business, and wardrobes. The category of sneakers is really hot, right? Get your kicks from your kicks. With the casualization of society, we're wearing sneakers and we're not going back. Plus, chaotic layoffs at Twitter as the Musk era takes shape. A hardcore work environment. And chaos at the box office, Swifties, Ticketmaster, and Fangirling 101. Think of what Harry Styles did in, in New York. 14 concerts in Madison Square Garden. You only made half of those, though. Only made half of them. I actually didn't make any of them I wanted to, though. For the kids? No, for me! <laughs> it's Friday, November 18th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one. Cue it, please. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. And as Joe said, it's Friday. we got a political update for you. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announcing yesterday she's not going to be seeking re-election or congressional leadership role. That ends that two-decade streak as the top House Democrat. She was the first woman to lead the chamber. Pelosi says she will remain a member of Congress and serve out the term to which she was just elected. With great confidence in our caucus, I will not seek re-election to Democratic leadership in the next Congress. For me, the hours come for a new generation to lead the Democratic caucus that I so deeply respect. And I'm grateful that so many are ready and willing to shoulder this awesome responsibility. In House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, who's now 83, announcing he would also decline to seek a top role. In a letter, Hoyer threw his support behind 52-year-old Representative Hakeem Jeffries of New York to become the Democratic leader in the House. Republican Congressman Kevin McCarthy is the frontrunner to become the next speaker when his party takes control of Congress. Your paper, the, the New York Times, it's weird. I read that. Wasn't that weird? Uh, blame, the, the, the state Republic, or state Democrats were blaming the mayor for the state losses because he validated the, the crime uh, I mean, did you see this? It's very strange. You, re- you read the front page. I just thought that was very strange. I didn't, I didn't realize. Yeah, they called it fear-mongering tactics that swung suburbanites to Republicans. But Hakeem uh, Jeff is from, from Brooklyn. Yep. He's going to be, you know, minority leader, uh, most likely, which is, which is pretty amazing, pretty good um, for New York and, and everything else. But I was... I just thought that was an odd uh, take. Did you? I, I, I don't understand that at all, because Mayor Adams has said closer and closer to the election that it wasn't an issue in crime in the city. So he got he got on board with the. I, but I but it's I, I don't get it. No, let's get. Uh, to, although he definitely was at odds with the governor before, and there was a risk. Oh right, when she said was, uh, 
uh, and did you see the people are, are talking about Zeldin being speaker? Because you don't have to be in the, the house to be Not speaker. speaker. I thought that was the. I think it, yeah, or, it, or a different. Or it was a different leadership position. Yeah, being a, I, maybe I it was, read it was that you the, don't need to be a current member to be speaker. Believe it or not. I didn't realize that, but I think they were, they were mentioning Strange. it for some other leadership positions, too. But this may be payback for Adams not being on board, really, with Governor Hochul. And at, at, there was a whisper campaign that he was actually in favor of Zeldin coming in. So It's weird, uh, blaming the mayor of New York City for, for losses in the state legislature. Meantime, the Biden administration declaring yesterday that the high office held by Saudi Arabia's crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman, should shield him from lawsuits for his alleged role in the killing of U.S.-based journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Khashoggi's fiancé had sued the crown prince, his top aides, and others in Washington federal court over their alleged roles in the killing. The State Department saying that its recommendation to the court was based on longstanding precedent and called it, quote, purely a legal determination. It is, though, a turnaround from President Biden's passionate campaign trail denunciations of MBS over those brutal slaying. Over that brutal thing, I should say, since his election, uh, President Biden has sought to try to ease tensions with the kingdom as the U.S. works to persuade Saudi Arabia to lower oil prices, though obviously probably not as low as they've wanted. Twitter suffered a, a new wave of departures yesterday after dozens uh, rejected Elon Musk's ultimatum to commit to a hardcore work environment. Musk sent a company-wide email Wednesday telling employees to expect uh, long hours at high intensity and giving them until 5 p.m. yesterday to decide if they wanted to stay. One engineer told CNBC that resignations had hit uh, important parts of the company's operations. Musk and his advisors uh, reportedly held meetings uh, with some Twitter workers who they deemed critical to stop them from leaving. Multiple media reports uh, say that after yesterday's deadline passed, Twitter emailed employees saying that the company would temporarily close its office buildings and suspend badge access effective immediately the offices will reopen on Monday. On Twitter, Musk uh, didn't address the resignations, but said, how do you make a small fortune in social media? Uh, start out with a large one. And just after 11 p.m. last night, he tweeted that Twitter just hit another all-time high in usage. He had some other tweets that said, uh, yeah, we're losing some, but we're not losing the important people that we need. And then I saw uh, Dave Portnoy. What's he, stool president? Our stool president. Yeah. And, and, uh, he said, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it kind of up and running? I mean, doesn't it? It, it kind of works, I think. Do you, what, do you need people to maintain it, I well, guess? It just doesn't you seem do, like you. There's also the decree from the FTC that you have to follow. You could get yourself in legal trouble. And that's the one thing I, I, I watch Elon and I, you kind of wonder. He's, he's wound up in depositions, in court, and that wastes a lot of his time for a guy who's working so hard on so many projects. Um, Elizabeth Warren and others now writing to say, that they are concerned about this and they want the FTC to look into it. If they're not following the FTC degree, that is a whole lot more legal headaches for as him. We said this, was, this is what we said was possible. And some people think right. that this is some kind of political retribution. Some people will think whatever they want to think it is. But this is the reality of when, when, you, when you approach the, either approach the business like this and or poke a lot of bears. And, and that was the one thing I was pointing out to Joe Lonsdale the other day. If there's an issue, you have to say he's stretched too thin, he's got too many things going on, and I can only imagine that the last thing he wants to do is sit in more depositions and have to deal with getting called before Congress or anything else that goes through it. Is the biggest concern, though, that there's only so many hours in the day and he's got a lot of huge things he's working on? I think he said himself he's working 120 hours a week at this point. 
Elon definitely concerns me how hard he works, but he also hires and attracts the very, very best people in the world. He has great people running his other companies. You know, I think he's, I think he's doing a good job. I mean, you can have all the money in the world, but if you can't control your time because you are forced to do some of these like headache legal things, right. that just seems like, man, why go down that path? There's got to be an easier way. But it, I thought, you know, to be able to, to tweet, how do you make a small fortune, invest a large fortune? So, yeah, it is. It's, it's pretty funny, and he's right, and he's dealing right. with the hardships of this. What, what was he saying? He works 120 hours a week, yep. he was saying at the Ron Barron conference. He stretched then, he even said in a deposition this week in Delaware Chancery Court that he was called into for something else about his compensation that, hey, he doesn't want to be the CEO of these companies. He'd be happy to step out of it. It's a lot of demands on his time. Um, but he's a guy who works hard and he's looking through these things. And you can't help but think that these are unforced errors that are going to cost him more time. And he's got lots of money, but time is the one element that any of these guys would probably love to have more. He has so much money he could probably... Sit in the front row at the at Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. <laughs> Swift Did you see what the tickets are going? What was it? Twenty-one thousand dollars. Well, that's how much. I haven't the tickets been. I haven't been on StubHub. I think it's go. probably going even higher now. An well, update right now, though, on that Taylor Swift ticket saga. Live Nation's Ticketmaster actually canceled the general public ticket sale for Swift's new tour that was scheduled for today. It cited extraordinarily high demands on ticketing systems and insufficient remaining ticket inventory to meet demand. Liberty Global's Greg Maffei weighed in on this issue in an interview with David Faber. His company is Live Nation's biggest shareholder. First, and all the Live Nation team is sympathetic that the long wait times and fans who couldn't get what they wanted. Reality is, it's a function of the massive demand that Taylor Swift has. The site was supposed to be opened up for 1.5 million verified Taylor Swift fans. Uh, we had 14 million people hit the site, including bots, another story, which are not supposed to be there. And despite all the challenges and the breakdowns, we did sell over 2 million tickets that day. We could have filled 900 stadiums. Maffei said that the fact that Taylor Swift hasn't been on the road for three or four years was a big factor in driving up demand. But as he mentioned, some of those bots probably going in trying to do this for ticket scalpers, get the tickets and then jack them up on the prices that they sell to the general public. But this is also calling, uh, being met with calls from Washington to look into Ticketmaster and whether or not there is some sort of a monopoly on this. Um, but yeah, this was unprecedented demand. That's what it is. And, yeah. and it, it's not only, I mean, we haven't got, gone to many concerts at all, people, in the last right. couple of years. And, and this, these are, this is a concert that, that kids would really like right. to see. And it's Taylor People Swift. People are looking so. at, okay, it's right before the holidays. What do you want to get your kids for the holidays? Right. Type of so there's, a built, there's pent up demand for concerts in general. Yeah. It's not like, you know. But, and then there's, she hasn't toured in a what while either. 14 million people and bots waiting to hit the site. That's, yes. I, she take down she the could do, she could probably go to, to each venue and do couple of weeks at each one. He and said not they, they had enough for 900 right. stadiums to fill 900 stadiums. Right. So she could do well, think of three what, a day. Think of what Harry Styles did in, in New York. 14 concerts in Madison Square Garden yeah. and then did 14 more, 12 more in L.A. You only in made, the same place. You only made half of those, though. Only you made did. half of them. Yeah. I actually didn't make any of them I wanted to, though. D did you? I did. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. For the kids? No, for me. <laughs> Why, what, you know, I gave every, you an out. No, there's no out. I want to go see Taylor Swift. I want to see Harry Styles. Right. What are you talking about? I don't know any of, of his songs. He's, I actually like his performance in movies, but I don't know his songs either. What's weird is when these, some of these people, and I'm thinking of Tim McGraw or someone like that, I've tried to act 
it just, maybe I'd be better now because I'm not as scared of the camera, but um, it's hard to do a natural scene. And, you, and when you see a crappy movie, low budget, and you watch the actors, it's like, wow, real actors are pretty good at their craft. I mean, they do overplay that whole thing and they think they're artists and all that stuff. But, but you're jealous because you can't do it. I can't do it. I can't, I, I, my emotional instrument is clogged. Someone told me that Nina Posh, famous actress. Cheese will be next. Up next on Squawk Pod, crypto exchange FTX's stunning downfall has prompted a near collapse of a still newish asset industry. So what's next? We're talking to a former SEC enforcer about regulating the crypto wild, wild west. I think it's the right approach to say, look, we want these participants to come in and be part of the securities industry. Crypto's next hurdle, right after this. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. All right, Andrew has these stories next. Here's Andrew diving back into the story of the week, the FTX crypto collapse. Up and Andrew, cue. I want to tell you about this. FTX's trading's a new CEO, John Ray, saying in a court filing, quote, never in my career have I seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information information as occurred here. He said FTX did not keep appropriate books and records or security controls with respect to its digital assets. He also slammed the company for concentrating control in the hands of a small group of inexperienced, unsophisticated, and potentially compromised individuals. Racing that Sam Bankman-Fried is in the Bahamas and continues to make erratic and misleading public statements. So, Wait a second, this uh, is the guy who did the Enron stuff? Says he's never seen anything like this before? And he's come in now to try to clean up this bankruptcy. You, you saw Sam Bankman-Fried, by the way, in wow. some of those DMs yesterday, say that he thinks that his biggest mistake was in allowing the company to file for Chapter 11, and that if he had been given the opportunity to just hold on to these assets, for another month, everybody would be made whole, and that he's still out there trying to raise $8 billion because he believes he can somehow rescue said firm. Of course, the firm saying that Sam Bankman-Fried is separated from the firm, so whatever he's saying, A, unclear whether it makes any sense to begin with, uh, and that's me putting it politely, but B, sort of what 
what is supposed to happen here. So I just want to say this one more time. This is the guy, John Ray, who did the Enron stuff. Never in my career have I ever seen such a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information as occurred here. Were there a lot of people who knew about this? And I think one of the things he's saying, which I think is right, I think this was like a little company almost to begin with. And there were probably literally half a dozen, a dozen people who at least understood what was going on. I don't think this is actually hundreds of people who were in on this scam. I think this was a couple of folks all living in a penthouse in the Bahamas uh, that were somehow managing this, what seemed to be empire that was not much of an empire after all. Oh, that's still shocking. Among the latest details, FTX's evidence suggesting that the Bahamas, the regulators in the Bahamas directed FTX's founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, to gain unauthorized access to systems to obtain digital assets after FTX had filed for bankruptcy protection. FTX now under the direction of a new CEO, John Ray, members of Congress weighing uh, new calls for crypto regulation. But our next guest says she's doubtful the FTX debacle will spur lawmakers to act. Joining us right now is Lisa uh, Braganza. She is a former SEC branch chief, uh, head of the uh, enforcement of that division. Good morning to you. We, we've been trying to figure out whether regulation, Lisa, unto itself would have prevented what appears, at least from the outside, to ultimately actually just be a fraud. Well, there's two reasons that regulation, uh, that the kind of regulation we might expect from Congress would not solve this problem. First of all, as you said, fraud happens. Uh, the second reason, though, is this activity is primarily taking place offshore. U.S. regulators and U.S. Congress have limited ability to be able to enforce um, anti-fraud provisions or any legal provisions offshore. If people choose to invest in a or put their money in an offshore exchange, they are opening themselves up to, um, you know, greater risks than if they choose to do so in the U.S. Look, if if the truth is that there's a fraud, there's little that can be done, I think. That's correct. I mean, if uh, frauds happen, frauds happen in right. highly regulated areas and they happen in low regulated but, okay, areas. But here's the, here's the question then. If there's so much fraud in an industry, right, if, if you think that it is an industry that is just at its base filled with all sorts of manipulation and there are those who believe that, as you know, do you, quote unquote, regulate the business so that it can be, I mean, this goes to like, do you allow the banks to custody this stuff? If you think all the stuff is manipulated, you probably don't want them custodying the stuff because it normalizes the entire, the whole thing. But, but maybe you do if you think you're trying to protect people. That is uh, the approach that the SEC's taken. And I think it's the right approach to say, look, we want these participants to come in and be part of the securities industry. We want you to, you know, be using uh, custodians. We want you to be following the kinds of, I mean, this is, the securities industry is massively regulated, um, even more than the commodities industry. And so to have um, the, the industry kind of come under that rubric is what, the, what would be helpful because there's lots and lots of um, 
circuit breakers in there. There are controls. There are there's oversight. Right, but Lisa, if the truth is, and here's the part that doesn't make sense to me, if the truth is that most of these folks are not going to do that, they may say they want to be regulated to a certain degree, but others don't. And as long as you have others and you have this global uh, phenomenon, if that's what it is, where you have exchanges that are, are abroad and all sorts of shenanigans going on abroad that have an impact here, what do you do? There isn't a lot you can do when U.S. residents can choose to send their money overseas. That's just, you know, the, the Congress and the U.S. regulators do not tell Americans what they can invest in. What the, or where they can send their money, with with a few exceptions. Um, so, given that people can go overseas, you know that's a problem. One way to stop those outflows of U.S. funds to purchase tokens in foreign exchanges or to purchase foreign issued tokens is to bring people, bring those issuers back into the U.S. And I think. That is the approach that the SEC has been taking. Lisa, I want to thank you uh, this morning. Thank you. Next on Squawk Pod, we're lacing up. The category of sneakers is really hot, right? I feel shin splints oh, yeah, coming. Sure. Foot Locker CEO Mary Dillon on what she's got in store for sneakerheads this holiday season. Plus, her decision to pull Kanye West's Yeezy brands from shelves. We stood behind our partner Adidas. I think they made the right decision. And so, you know, that was just one of those situations. And the small amount of inventory that we had, you know, we brought back to Adidas and we'll move forward. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big. Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew. Good morning. Welcome back to Squawk Box right here on CNBC on this Friday morning, live from the NASDAQ market sit in Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Becky Quick and Joe Kernan. Frayer, is that what we're calling it? Frayer. Uh, I was thinking about Foot Locker. I, I'm just gratified that it's Stunned called. Stunned and amazed. I'm just gratified it's called, it's called Foot Locker. Why? Because they, remember they changed it to Venet, Venator? Remember oh, that? That it's was like, what is Oh, but that it was, was Woolworth and Fuller. Like, I know. And, and I was going to say that's available now. It's not. It actually is uh, around. Venator is it's something. It's Venator. That, I know. I know. And, it but it's, this is what it should locker. be. It, they do uh, innovative pigment and additives. That, now, that sounds like a Venator. Okay. That, that works. <laughs> for, for, but you know what's cool? It's the Latin word for, for hunter. Oh, that's pretty cool. Venator Biden. No, it's, uh, it's, the, it's the Latin, uh, uh, yeah, Venator. And guess what a feminine uh, hunter is? Diana. No, a Venatrix, which sounds kind of cool. It is. That's actually a better name. It is. 
Foot Locker beating estimates on both the top and the bottom lines for its latest quarter, also reporting better than expected comp store sales and raising guidance for the full year. That stock right now up by 14%. Joining us in an exclusive interview is Foot Locker's new CEO, Mary Dillon. And Mary, it's great to see you. Good morning. Great to see you as well. Thank so, you. Congratulations. You're there two and a half months, and these are some really <laughs> impressive numbers. Well, thank you. I'm thrilled to be the CEO of Foot Locker, and really my team delivered an amazing quarter, right? Strong results, better than expectations in a tough macro environment, right? But our customer proved to be very resilient. Our top line sales were up 3.3% when you exclude currency fluctuations. Uh, comps were up 0.8%. Foot Locker North America up high single digits. Why is that? Customers yeah. love the category. They love what we offer in terms of brands and what we do in our stores. I, I think you mentioned you had a growing customer base, too. Yeah. Were you able to get comps up, have the growing customer base because mall traffic was up? Or is this a situation where you had advertising, you had digital? What brought in more people? Well, first of all, the category of sneakers is really hot, right? It's very exciting. And Foot Locker offers a really great array of brands. And what we've discovered is that our customers love choice. And so our best guess buy three or three or more brands when they shop with us over time. And so what they love is to come in and, and it, this is a category, it's a lot like beauty, believe it or not. There's a lot of enthusiasts, there's a lot of enthusiasm, innovation and newness matters. And so what our customers at Foot Locker love around the globe is that we offer them all the brands that they know and love, plus a lot of new ones too. So you're appealing to the sneakerheads, basically? Yeah, well, listen, I. The sneaker category, you know, Foot Locker has a long heritage here. We really, street basketball and youth culture is what we, where we started. Um, but if you think about it, it's the intersection of sport and fitness and trend. And, um, and they're finding what they want what at Foot Locker. What percentage of sales do you think customers are coming in for sort of utility? Like when I was a kid, I would just buy a pair of sneakers and then the, they would run out. And then, I mean, you know, I'd wear them out. And then I'd need to buy a new pair of sneakers versus... Yes the fashion of it. You were not a sneakerhead as a kid then, no. clearly. Now, you, you were now not. I'm very okay. into it. Now you then, understand I, it. I was the because utility. Was, our, our customers are very engaged in the category with a lot of enthusiasm. So it's about individual expression. It's about right. newness and innovation. It's about collectability. Um, and, and with the casualization of society, like we're not, we're wearing sneakers and we're not going back. What, what about you know what I mean? <laughs> runners? Because, and I yes. think there's something to this because, and I'm not talking about wearing them out, like where they fall off your feet. I'm talking about I feel shin splints oh, yeah, coming. Oh, yeah, sure. So how often do I need to, I need oh, to now replace now I'm them your, every, every six months. You're a now. I like this. Well, yes. I, no, well I run as every well. Every six so months, yes, I need. You absolutely do. Because they don't look, they look fine. Yes. But I think well, that, does be, it break down? Yeah, like, you must be running a lot, which is well, I great. Three I ran this morning with the, my yeah. Nike Air Max, and I have Puma suede so when would you today. So I would say, you know, I'm not an expert on all. Is it planned obsolescence? Does it really break down to where they're not as cushioning after, like, six months? Absolutely. I don't know if there's an exact time Frame, but with runners, I've been a runner my whole life, and I absolutely replace so my shoes frequently. you constantly got to keep buying. But now I'm shoes. finding that I can create a sneaker wardrobe. These are really fun. This is a Puma shoe we have just announced this week, a great partnership with Puma. Um, and it's a, it gives you a little bit of a platform. Yeah. So it's it's cool. You can wear it with all it's sorts taller. of things. But there's a whole lot of options in the yeah, sneaker you can wear world that, that Foot Locker offers. Instead <laughs> of a, okay, but is that part of it, getting exclusive brands, setting up these partnerships with Ab sneaker companies absolutely. like you did at Ulta? Absolutely. I mean, we sell all the brands that you know and love. And we've got great partnerships with Nike, with Adidas, with Puma. We have up and coming brands. We've started, we have On and Hoka. We've got Crocs and Uggs. So there's really an array and some of them are exclusive to signature items for us for sure. But that's what I was gonna ask you about yeah. the signature items. So you have, a, we're in a moment now where, for example, Nike, as you know, has tried to pull, you know, to push the DTC, meaning direct to consumer 
Yeah. Right. They've got their sneakers website. They're trying to put these sort of the hot collectible versions of stuff on their site. And I think you're going to ultimately, I mean, this, was, this is the challenge with, with all sort of brick and mortar is, is that, that everyone's trying to sort of pull it back as opposed to bring it out. How do you, how do you either change the economics around it or do something where Nike or others say, this is what we want to do? Well, it's a balance, I would say, and that certainly one of the exciting things about the sneaker category is high heat and scarcity. Right. Um, but also, you know, most consumers in this category shop in store and increasingly online. So just you know, as we see in other consumer categories, both really matter. So for us, you know, we look at our fourth quarter, we've got a lot of really exciting product launches coming. And so it's a combination of you know, working with our brand partners to sell in our stores and online as well as what they do on their DTC. Mary, let me ask you, you um, had a partnership with the Kardashians. You, you inked some deals with them while you were at Ulta. Yeah. Here um, at Foot Locker, you pretty quickly pulled Yeezy's products, all of the Yeezy yeah. products after Kanye West's anti-Semitic comments. What, what led you to that decision and what's the impact yeah. on your bottom well, line? You know, at Foot Locker, we are obviously do not uh, hate speech, anti-Semitism, there's no room for that for our business and our values. We stood behind our partner Adidas. I think they made the right decision. Um, and so, you know, that was just one of those situations. And the small amount of inventory that we had, you know, we brought back to Adidas and we'll move forward. But you have to, I would have never believed it, but you need to be as, as fashion savvy as like a hot topic or something. Right? So does your buyer you just have everything in the store so you can satisfy everyone yes, or do you or do buyers really need to make decisions i'm going to carry this i'm going to carry that absolutely they you do should visit, so you need I mean, someone you really good store close by here on 41st and broadway right what you you'll to, find right. is our stripers in our stores are real curators experts in the category but to your point we've got merchants all around the world who are experts in trend function, form, and fitness, all of those things. I just met with a group of our leaders yesterday that are working on all up-and-coming brands. So we've got stores all over the world and access to sneaker culture, which is really exciting. Are shoes wholesale a lot more expensive because of material costs and inflation? More expensive than what? I would say this. We offer a wide variety of brands and, and a range of price points as well. But are they more expensive from today? From well, sure, everybody's experiencing but it's, are they, inflation. They're inelastic. People are going to pay more. People pay well, ridiculous money for, for sneakers. Yeah, well, it's, you know, this is a category that I think if you're into the category, you're, you prioritize it. And we've seen our customer to be very resilient. So that's why, right. you know, we see our results, momentum What's on the business. What's your highest price, price, price point sneaker at this point? I'd say probably the highest could be up to $200, but then our average is about $100. There's some that are less, and probably the highest would be there. You could spend a lot more on when a $100 sneaker was like, that was, right. that was the yeah. big time. Right. You would really, you know. In, but again, I would say what I love about what we offer at Foot Locker is a wide variety of choices for everybody. Even things like Uggs, which for the holiday are going to be really hot. Are, are the, the, the performance companies still selling the idea that they have even better Technology and innovation for runners. Yeah, are they, they are, and they I mean, are they really better? This they industry just? is driven by innovation, not just fashion and trend, but also form and function. Absolutely, and that matters. That really matters for the more serious athlete, for the everyday athlete, and then as well as just you know wanting well, to Well, you got to help me. I told you. I put that treadmill on four and a half miles an hour. So I'm, I'm like cranking. All okay, right, well, for, I was at for, six and a half this morning, so not to compete or anything. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but do you do it for uh, like 30 minutes? I do it for yeah. 30. I go up to five she miles. She owns so, you. So, 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 I go up to <laughs> Just real quick, real quick, online versus off. 
Meaning, long term, what do you think the online piece of your business looks yeah, like? Yeah, I don't know exactly yet where it's going to land, but absolutely it's a big opportunity for us. I would say in the time that I've been at Foot Locker, besides meeting our teams and visiting our stores all around the world, what I see is opportunity. And there's opportunity for us to be even bigger online than we are today. And it, it will continue to grow. We have about 16% today sales online. We also what would you like that to be? I, and what I, do you think is conceivable? I don't know yet. How's that? I think, okay. you know... It, it's higher than that. How's that? It's early days. I don't have okay. a specific answer for you, but definitely higher than that, I would say, for the category and for our company. We've got to run, but gross margins yeah. were down by 270 basis points. Part of that was higher markdowns. How much pressure are your consumers feeling right now? How many markdowns do you expect? Our consumers are, our customers of Foot Locker are showing extreme resilience, which is fantastic. So that's why we raised our, our, our guidance for the fourth quarter. Will it be a promotional period of time? Absolutely. Our promotions are working, and I think consumers are expecting that right now. Mary Dillon. Mary, thanks for coming in. This is exciting. We want to see you again. Thank you. And that's the pod for this Friday. Thanks for listening today and all week. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern to get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears. Follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great weekend, and we'll meet you back here on Monday. We are clear. Thanks, guys. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 